This is episode 131, Healing Abuse with Jackie Wilson. My name is Tudor Alexander, and this is the Dance of Life podcast. Every week, my goal is to inspire you to take action towards what you love, live a transformed life, and enjoy the journey there. Are you ready? Let's go. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me today. I have an awesome and inspiring guest. A quick quote that she herself has generously shared with me, and that is, when someone shows you who they really are, don't overlook the signs or make excuses. Believe them. That's with my guest, Jackie Wilson. She's an author, an awareness speaker, a life recovery coach, certified domestic and sexual violence advocate, certified in mental health first aid, and founder of Right Connections and Recovery, which is a company established to support women from a diverse background who have been oppressed by domestic violence, get to safety, and rebuild their lives. She uses these platforms like speaking, TV, radio, broadcast, podcasts like this, weekly social media webinars, domestic and sexual violence, online Facebook support groups, women's empowerment book clubs, and a heal women's empowerment chat and chew to share her testimony of triumph, courage, which I love, absolutely courage and determination to inspire and encourage women seeking to rebuild their life and become self-sufficient. She just wrote a book titled Planning Your Escape, The Key to Your Freedom which was published uh, in this year, March of 2019, and it's now available on Amazon as paperback. Wow, what an awesome, awesome bio. Nice to meet you, Jackie. I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Tudor, for having me, and I'm so happy and excited to be here as well. So you have quite the story. I would love to to share a little bit of that with people listening. Um, what, you know, give us a little insight about, um, obviously, you know, this is from personal experience that you are on this path. So what what happened in your life to shift uh, to shift you in this direction where you're really helping women kind of regain their their confidence, their freedom? You know, it's a big deal. So if you want to share a little bit about that. Um, sure. Well, I am a, sur- a survivor of domestic violence, or as I see myself, a champion of domestic violence. And um, being married to um, a police officer at the time and also a former Marine. Yeah. So we were together for, or together for a total of 16 years and married for 13 years. And during that time, uh, 12 years of the marriage, I actually was an at-home mom. So prior to that, I was very independent, uh, worked a government job, worked for the post office, actually. Um, and I had some things on the outer part that I thought, hey, I'm doing a good job. But inside, I didn't realize that I was actually suffering from low self-esteem and low mm. self-worth. Mm. But the outer part was all together. Job, um, you know, as far as a place to stay. All the external and, stuff. Right, all the external yeah. stuff. I had, uh, you know, a nice car. Everything like that was good. I was a single mom. Um, wasn't really looking for someone to come in to um, be the dad because she mm. had a dad. But I was just looking for a companion for myself. Gotcha. And so um, during this time we dated, you know, there were some red flags in the beginning um, that I should not have continued on with even just dating this person. Mm. But you know how some of us do. We yeah, we tolerate. We say, exactly. you know what? It's okay. Right. It's going to be fine. Or we see it and we don't see it. Right. You know, we That's see true. it and it's like, oh, we make excuses. Oh, he's just dealing with this or, you know, that woman is that or, you know, kind of things. We, we make excuses for those things. Right. Um, and so through that period of time, I realized probably about um, 
maybe about six years into the relationship once I um, was pregnant and Mm -hmm. became an at-home mom, that's when I started noticing. And then he went undercover as a police officer. And then that's, I want to say, maybe about a year after he became an undercover cop. is So that would have put us in probably about 2002 um, was when I realized that um, he was making some changes. There were Mm. some some behavioral changes in him, some um, emotional changes in him. Now, when I met him, he was in a bad relationship. He had just gotten out of a bad relationship. So he was kind of emotionally, um, not all together. Yeah, I'll just yeah. say emotionally, mm-hmm. uh, taxed. Okay. Gotcha, I'll say. Gotcha. Yeah. And, um, so I'm thinking, okay, you know, everything's going to be okay. I wasn't in a relationship. So I'm just trying to help him, you know, get mm-hmm. to where he needed to be. So then after I had my second um, baby, well, the baby with him, um, then I started noticing as far as with, like I said, his behavior changed. Mm-hmm. Um, the way we communicated was different. Um, we argued a lot more and, I was at home, so it was more uh, was a financial situation because you figure leaving from two incomes to one income. But the reason that I became an at-home mom is because um, I almost lost our baby. So I was threatening a miscarriage. And so the doctor told me I had two options, either keep working and lose the baby. It was in my first trimester or either stop working, become an at-home mom and carry the baby to term. So it didn't, you know, it wasn't like I had to have a rocket scientist thought to say, I think I better just come home. So that's what we decided. And during that time, that's why I said I saw a lot of changes, you know, after that first year. Hmm. Um, during the pregnancy, I was so stressed and because of the financial situation. So um, I stayed sick the entire nine month pregnancy and my baby after I had her, she was born sick. So she was born with GERD. So I dealt with that for a number of years. And even to this day, she's 21 years old. And she still deals with, you know, different forms or a form of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just kind of going through that and just to arguing and staying up, you know, to wee hours of the morning arguing and not understanding what are we what's going on? You know, and I know I was pretty independent when we got together and he was independent and you know, pretty strong will person too. So I'm just thinking, okay, maybe we just clashing. Maybe I need to just kind of take a back step. You know, mm. maybe I'm being a little too independent um, yeah. in my thoughts and, you know, maybe it's not working. Maybe I haven't submitted and I'm well enough in a relationship. So, you know, we're in the church. So I'm talking to people at the church, not really sharing everything, but just kind of sharing enough to say, well, Hey, what's going on? What can we get some help with? Mm. Um, and we did some counseling um, with a couple of people and it was come came back to say, this is your role as a husband. This is your role as a wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was tired of hearing. And basically, he told me he didn't want to hear anymore about what he needs to do. It should be about what I'm supposed to do, too. Um, and so we kind of went back and forth with that. And I just was like, let's just stop with the going for counseling. It just wasn't helping. Mm-hmm. And I'm still trying to play, you know, downplay myself in, in the relationship, right. hoping it's going to change. Um, and it wasn't. So. We dealt with, like I said, the arguing, just a lot of the game plan. So it went to where if you were working, we wouldn't have to be struggling so much. So then I try to get me a job and then it would be later. Well, you're not at home. You're not doing what you're supposed to do at home. Right? It was always something. So I felt like I was just on this emotional roller coaster. I couldn't understand. It was as though nothing I did or said was right. Hmm. And it just continued on. And there was there was no physical. Um, but after You know, going through that uh, relationship and just before we got ready to get a divorce, um, he had actually stepped out of the relationship and um, he started seeing someone else and the person was at the church. So I went to the the bishop and the pastor at the time, first lady, and wanted to have counseling. Um, So he he didn't want to go to counseling. But then he told me just to get me off his back. He said he would go, but he didn't show up that day. Hmm. So it's just the three of us there, the bishop and the pastor. And so I'm just kind of, you know, talking to him about what's going on. And I kind of mentioned that he has stepped out of the marriage. And I'm just crying while I'm talking. And then the pastor, the first lady, she says, well, um, how do you know he's cheating? 
And I said, well, because I saw clothes from a woman's clothes is in my house. You know, there's some in his drawer. There's some in the uh, closet because we had separated for about six months. And then when we got back together, that's when I saw the clothes were in there. But when we gotcha. separated, it was a mutual separation that we knew we needed space to get ourselves together. Mm-hmm. But in that time, I'm working on me. He wasn't. He stepped out of the relationship. Gotcha. So um, and I actually I had moved out here to Arizona for that period of time because um, our daughter, our older daughter, um, which was my daughter before I met him, um, she moved out here for college. So I said, okay, he was like, well, go out there because she was having some health issues. So I come out here and during this time, like I said, I'm working on me and helping our daughter. Um, and our younger daughter was with me and he started a relationship. So when I came back, um, he wanted out of the marriage and he wanted to be with this person. Now there was a couple, um, and this is where the church hurt comes in. There was a couple people, a pastor and another friend, um, I thought a couple friends of us. And they knew about this side relationship that he was having. And they actually um, uh, promoted it, I guess you want to say. Yeah, supported it. Supported it, right. Exactly. So when I went to see the pastor and told her and her husband about that, her response to me after I said I saw clothes, she says, well, how do you know those aren't his sister's clothes? Now, I'm there in front of them crying, okay, wiping tears, all of that, just dripping. And she comes back with that response to that's say, crazy. how do you know that's not his sister's clothes? <laughs> wow. And I mean, my mouth, I'm, I'm, I'm sure my mouth opened up wide and my heart probably just dropped. And I'm just sitting there like, and I had been at this church at that time for 18 years. Yeah, I was going to say, you were, you've been there for a long time, I, I had bet, right? 18 yeah. years. I had been there a year before he even started going wow. to the church, a year and a half before he started going to the church. So You really felt that betrayal by your own community. Exactly. Yeah. And I sat there like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that. So I'm hmm. sure you know after that, I didn't really have much conversation to say after that. I was ready to leave because yeah. I felt like at that point, you didn't believe me. You told me right then you've already taken sides and it wasn't just a bias thing. It was more, we're on his side. We don't believe him. Yeah, exactly. And then even after that, they said, well, we'll have to talk to him because we just don't believe this. We've never heard this. So um, with all of what I've gone through, I still didn't know in the marriage that I was dealing with domestic violence because there was no mm-hmm. physical, there was no um, verbal abuse. There was no sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. It was all mental, emotional, psychological abuse, um, spiritual abuse, financial abuse that I dealt with. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that until two years after three years after the divorce. And then when I moved out here to Arizona, that's when I found out about it. So um, actually I take that back. It was in 2014 because we got divorced in in 09. So in 2014, when I started going to college and I took a a college course, which was um, victimology. Mm. And that's when I realized. I didn't even know they had. Yes. It's because I was going to school for social work. So yeah, that's part of one of the classes. And um, I was sitting there like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe. Oh my God, I recognize now my own story in this. Right. And actually for that victimology class, um, there were some students in there that were going to school for um, criminal justice. They Mm. took that class too. So, so what, what exactly do they cover in that class? Like basically the, the, the aspects of being, you know, how do you recognize a victim? What are the different types of things of different mm-hmm. kinds of abuses, I'm guessing? Exactly. They talk about what a victim is, the rights of a victim. Um, they also cover as far as the different forms. So we, they, um, she talked about child abuse and uh, domestic violence, sexual violence, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, someone being robbed or someone being raped is just any form where a person can be a victim of yeah. some form of a crime is what she discussed in that class. Well, so it was it, awesome. It's to hear interesting that. because you made a very, I think, a very important distinction, which is something that people can get between, you know, when we say domestic violence, we usually think of like, okay, usually a man, right, beating up a woman, some sort of physical altercation, you know, but 
uh, what you bring up is really important in the sense that it doesn't have to be physical, right? I mean, there's all sorts of abuses and I think probably the more dangerous, at least, you know, I, I don't want to say it's positive, but at least one thing that's positive in a sense is that it's recognizable. Like if it's physical, it's obvious. So, you know, okay, I can label this, this is abuse, you know, this is bad. And even then, you know, we, we some people stay in those relationships. But with something like, let's say, spiritual or emotional or mental abuse, these kinds of things that are not so obvious, in a sense, they're even more dangerous because it's, they're hard to recognize, right? Exactly. So, yes. how would you, in your experience, especially now, you know, coaching women and helping helping people in all kinds of relationships, men and women, how would you distinguish you know, what are the signs? Like, how do I know if I'm in a mentally abusive relationship? It doesn't have to be physical, but what are some warning signs? Like, you know, you said there's the red flags, but we usually tend to ignore them or we don't see them, right? So, what are some of the, what are some of the things that you've found that people need to be aware of and kind of look at their own situations that helps them? Okay. So, um, let me just kind of backtrack a little bit on when you mentioned about the different forms of yeah. abuse. So, um, there are several. There's, um, and, and you're right. We normally think of physical abuse and verbal abuse and sexual abuse. Um, those are the three that you normally hear most of. And that's because at least with the physical, you're going to get some physical scars. Right, you know, with yeah. the verbal, you're going to, pe- other people can hear that. Mm. Um, and, and it's also, um, as I like to say, it's a beat down to that person's spirit when they're being verbally abused or sexually abused. Um, and that can also be a part of as far as sex trafficking, you know, can c- fall up under that too, as sexual violence. Um, but when we talk about the different forms of abuse, that is different. It is mask different. So a lot of times you're right. You can't see that. Um, it's more internal scars. So when we talk about that, there's um, so I'm just going to go ahead. I'll just name several of them. There's physical abuse. There's mental, emotional, psychological abuse. There's uh, spiritual abuse. And we're not just talking about in the church, but when your spirit person is broken, that's where that spiritual abuse comes in. At. So that part mm-hmm. actually kind of plays two parts. It can You can also have church hurt, which is part of the spiritual hurt, but also just your spirit person is broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also there's the financial and economical abuse. There's um, even some people don't even know there's immigration status, which is a form of abuse. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you have some one here that's illegal and they're married or dating someone that is a, a citizen, that person can basically kind of force them to stay in that relationship. Any sort of physical power play, abuse. pretty much. Exactly, that's right. Really and, with the at. form of control and isolation and manipulation, those mm. are all different tactics that are used to have that person to be submissive in that relationship, whether it's out of fear or mm-hmm. whether it's just out of the manipulating tactics that have happened. Um so what I like to share with individuals is if you're dating someone and in the beginning that person is moving too fast in the relationship mm-hmm. where they're really trying to lock you down to be in that relationship, mm-hmm. go with caution. You know, that's one red flag right there because that's what a lot of times the, the abuser likes to do mm-hmm. is to get that per- a couple that person up really fast. Mm-hmm. So that way they can start right away with manipulating them. Um, and I always like to tell individuals that you don't know in the beginning when you meet somebody if that person has a hidden agenda, but always go into that with an open mind and looking for it for if you especially if you've been in a, a an abusive relationship you definitely want to go in with caution um, and you want to look for some some signs that may be close to what you just got out of yeah. so that way you don't get tripped up in the end and then you're like oh my gosh I didn't see this coming um, so I think for us as survivors we become a little bit more heightened with our senses when we're going back to date um, I think some of us some of us don't because um, it's been a pattern that's been set and so they're used to and 
and it, and it may sound kind of odd when I say this, but some people are used to drama in relationships because yeah, it becomes this is the comfort or the it, baseline. Exactly, because this is what they've been used to. Right. So I try to say, you know, look out for the person wanting to move too fast in a relationship, especially if they want to, you know, you've only dated for a few months and they're talking about moving in. That's something to be mindful of, you know, because in that way, once they get you into get into your place or you get into their place, then they can do the manipulating even more. Right. And in the isolation from your friends and your family, or as I like to say, your support system. So those are some things to kind of look out for if the person is maybe talking to you in a demeaning way or a controlling way, if they don't value your opinions and don't allow you to speak, you know, on your own and, and voice your opinion and be able to see the value in you and show love and respect. Those are some things that we should just, you know, expect to get in any relationship. But if you're not getting those basic needs in a relationship, those are serious red flags for mm. you to say what well, this is not healthy, you know, at least take a step back and start asking those questions to say, well, why is this happening or why don't you value me in this area you know or something like that instead of just saying oh well he's having a bad day she's having a rough Making day excuses for right you know or, right or their past relationship that's what we like we hear that a lot oh their past relationship was he was hurt he he went through this or she went through this and they're acting out of that which is true mm-hmm. but you don't want that to be the deciding factor in your relationship it shouldn't be that way mm. and i mean one thing that comes up to me is you know, it's it's a whole saying is it takes two to tango in a sense. And in a weird way, it's like there's there's that abuser or person who's kind of leveraging that control. But then it's like, why do why do we stay in those situations? That's the question on my mind. You know, how do you how do you speak about that? Which is basically the the that baseline that we talked about, that sense of comfort, which is totally doesn't make sense in in some sense. That sense of comfort within the drama, within the storm, being comfortable with abuse in a sense. Like if you grew up, let's say, in in a very verbally abusive household or something like that, you know, they say we tend to attract people like our parents, right, or whatever, you know. So whatever that baseline was for you, why is it that we we want to tolerate those things? Why is it that we see a red flag and even the ones we do see and we know it's like, you know what, this is a red flag, why do we want to be the rescuers? Why do we want to stay? You know, like there's these human tendencies. We're drawn to the fire. Um, and so, and, and again, it takes two to tango. You got the abuser in that sense. Then you have, it's like that song by the Eurythmics, you know, some of them, <laughs> some of them want to be abused. And it's mm-hmm. like, why is that? You know, what, what's up with that part of human nature? Well, um, I will agree that to everything that you said, it, it makes a lot of sense and it helps, um, helps us to kind of understand why, or I want to say I, what I'm going to share with you now, I hope would try to help understand why individuals yeah. stay, what I found through um, my years of working and my experience. And um, even as far as with the different individuals that I've spoken to and coach with. Um, so just to kind of take you back to if a person is raised in a unhealthy, abusive environment, especially as a child, um, by the time that child is 16 years old, according to what doctors say, that that child has already made it up in his or her mind what life is going to be like. Mm-hmm. Their expectation of um, family, of friendships, of relationships, mm-hmm. of uh, what their life is going to be. That pattern is already set. It's already etched into their mind. that They have a, a, um, a blueprint of that already. So you figure if that has taken place, then when they start dating, um, they're going to act out what they were used to dealing with. And that's going to continue on into young adulthood, into adulthood, into being married. This is what they're going to do because this is what they've been accustomed to. 
So now um, there is a stat that does say that individuals um, that were not raised in abusive environments, there's um, something to the effect is like 11% chance of those individuals becoming um, an abuser. Okay. Mm. If they're seeking uh, control. Okay. So that they were not raised in an abuse. If they were not raised, right. But then gotcha. if they're, um, and, and I've heard a lot of people say, and even I'm guilty of saying that too. So I just want to stand corrected. Um, I used to think when I first got into this um, business, into the industry of um, speaking and sharing my story. So just as a, a bystander, I looked at it and said, well, everybody or all the abusers are narcissistic people. Hmm. Okay. But I have to stand corrected with that because. All of us have some form of narcissism in us in terms right. of wanting to be selfish or grandiosis, you know, loving of ourselves. We all have that. Mm. I want to be Especially heard. in the social media age. Exactly <laughs> right, right. We look for those likes and, you know, things like this. So we all have some part of that in us. Mm. Um, so to say all narcissistic people are abusers would be a wrong statement. Mm. Now, in that, where, where I'm going with this is if a person is seeking to control an individual, that is what makes that person a prime suspect of or a prime candidate, I'll say, of being an abuser hmm. because they're seeking control and they're seeking it in a way where they don't mind if they hurt somebody in the process to get it. OK, hmm. um, they don't mind if they are physical with that person or endanger that person's life in order to get the control. Um, and what we're finding is a lot of times the reason what we're talking because I've talked to individuals that have been abusers and individuals that are survivors. And with listening to what the, the abusers are saying, because this is how they and, and majority of them had um, abuse somewhere in their past as a child. Mm, okay? The abusers. The abusers did. Yes. Yeah. And because of that, they felt as though they weren't loved. They were isolated, um, not nurtured during those years. So for them, they don't really know what true love is. So mm. for someone to say, I love you, they don't really get, grasp that in a way like we probably would mm. um, in that way. So for them, they feel as though if they can make you do something for them, that makes them feel like you love them. Mm. Because as a child, they were made to do things. You know, they were forced do this, do this. And that was a way of saying, well, I'm doing this because I love you. OK, mm -hmm. but that wasn't really the the true essence of what love is. But that's their mindset of what love is. So when they're in these relationships and they're controlling and the person is doing what they want them to do, they think that's showing love. But mm -hmm. really, it's not. It's that person is that person do love them, I think. But it's more fear of if I don't, this is what you're going to do. Yeah, it's so, obedience in a sense. So exactly. It's, it's so you're really not. So they're really not getting the full essence of what love really is. They're mm -hmm. getting well like what you said, obedience, or if I don't, you're going to, you're going to be forceful to me. You're going to be controlling to me. You're going to, um, I fear you. So I'm going to go ahead and do this. Mm -hmm. So now with that being said, if that's what they're used to, they're going to do that pattern. Mm -hmm. But to talk up to, in order to answer what your question is, is why do individuals stay? Now I'll tell you as far as for me on my side, I didn't know I was in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. So therefore I'm thinking my relationship is as people say, it's toxic. We were arguing. We were just adjusting. Just having tough times. We were having right. We were having tough times. We we weren't able to uh, communicate effectively with each other. So I thought maybe we needed to go to counseling. You figure you're bringing in two independent thinking people um, into a relationship. You need to adjust. And from what we've heard, oh, the first seven years is usually the most difficult time. Okay, mm. so the first seven years was the most difficult time, but it continued on. <laughs> it didn't stop. Okay, so it was like the first couple of years that we dated. 
um, things were good. We, we, there were some issues there, um, in the very beginning, but after that, things kind of, you know, dissipated. And those three years, two and a half years before we got married, things were good. Mm. But it was after we got married, that's when all, as I like to say, all hell kind of broke loose, yeah. you know, and it was just different things, just over, you know. Were you guys living here. together when you were dating, or you started living together when you got married? Well, no, we, um, I, we did live together for, about a year and a half, but we were celibate during that time. Oh, so we wow. weren't. Yeah, we we and we kind of did it How'd backwards. You manage that? Right, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> we started out where we did we were active, and we were like, okay, we didn't feel comfortable with it, so mm. we were like, this isn't good, and gotcha. um, we wanted the you know to go into the marriage the right way because at that time we both were. I was raised Catholic, gotcha. so by the time I met him, I had just transitioned. He was raised Baptist, so by the time I met him, I had been. Um, I had transitioned into non-denominal for maybe about two years. Mm-hmm. And so it was a transition for me. So going into um, a new faith, um, I was learning some different things. And so that was something that I wanted to practice was not to have uh, sex before we got married. So mm-hmm. we did that for about a year and a half. Um, and we still lived together. We had our boundaries. Um, and then we ended up getting married and, you know, was a full relationship. But um I was together with him for three years before we got married. Mm. So I didn't see a lot of the patterns that I saw later. I was going to say, because like you said, when you start living together, that's when, I mean, for any relationship, Mm -hmm. when you live together, it's a whole new level. You know, Mm -hmm. that's when when you're most likely to start seeing all the... The controlling, the stuff. controlling, right? Yeah, and yeah. and I can say he was able to hold his back quite a distance for for quite a length of time. I'll say because I didn't see any of the. I mean, well, I won't say that I did. Let me let me take that back. So the disagreements that we had was more like I said the adjusting period. Mm-hmm. It wasn't anything where I thought he was being verbally abusive or mentally abusive to me or anything at that point. But once I became an at-home mom, that's when I believe more of the game, mind games started mm. coming where it was, you should do this or why aren't you working and this and, you know, just back and forth. And mm-hmm. we're up arguing more about the finances, more about the kids. He's not um, engaging with the children. It's just me. He's working. And all he wanted to do was work, go to church and work out at the gym five to six days a week. Avoid okay. basically. Avoiding. Yeah. Right. So it was like, I felt like I was married, but I was single. So I was doing everything and I just felt like this is just too much for me. So these were a lot of the arguments and arguments and stuff that we were having to, which added on to the stress that I was going through. So I dealt with anxiety and depression pretty much the entire marriage, mm-hmm. um, going to see a doctor on medication and, you know, just back and forth. And it was just a lot that was going on. Um, isolated myself from my family and my friends because of what we were going through. I didn't want people to see that side. I didn't want people to know. I didn't want to talk about it. So I kept things to myself. When I did try to talk, like I said, when I talked to the pastor, that was when we were um, in the process that year before we got married. Um, that was in that year that we were getting ready to get a divorce was when I reached out. Um, prior to that, we had talked to them um, before we actually got married. We had counseling with them um, and, and everything seemed to be okay. But it was like, it just seemed, I started noticing the changes, like I said, when he went undercover. What was the, I mean, obviously it's a process and it kind of grew and, and this is something, you know, that takes time. But if you could say it was one situation, like if you think back in your memory that, you know, that you could share like, okay, you know what? This was the the point where I started, where I crossed the threshold between, hey, we're just having a rough patch to, you know what? There needs to be a change that, that's it's happening. This is not just a rough patch. This is you know, this is a, an abusive situation or I need, you know, there's something, something changed. What was that moment for you? What was that point in your um, relationship? 
Well, for me, because um, there's still a big chunk of my marriage that I don't remember. Mm. And um, I was told that the reason why I don't remember is because that's a form of PTSD. Mm. So um, that would have been for me the part. What I do remember of that was the part to say something really isn't right. And I actually left and I went to go stay at my mom's and Mm. I was there for about six to eight months. I was at her house. So what happened to trigger that for you? Um, that's where it gets a little cloudy because gotcha. there's some oh. things that I don't remember see, as gotcha. to what led up to that. I know we were doing a lot of but arguing. But you know, you did say at one point, you know what, That's I need to move out. This is not... Right. And this this was the, the argument that we had. And I remember he had, had just gotten home from work, so he still had his gun holster on. Oh, wow. Um, and we were arguing and he was following me around the house and I was trying to leave and he was tell, threatening me saying, no, you're not leaving. You're not taking my kids, kids with you. And, you know, and was just following around and he was um, being um, more verbally um, not cursing but um, his voice had raised more controlling more and that's where the fear was right Mm -hmm. intimidation was there and so um, that for me was like okay we gotta go Mm -hmm. so we left and like I said we were gone for um, I want to say probably about seven months Mm -hmm. that we were gone because kids too right yeah yeah. I took both of them and we left and we went to stay at my mom's and um, for me even after that I went back hmm so, um, but I stayed going all that time. Um, didn't go over and visit. There was nothing intimacy or anything like that going on. It was because I was fearful. You went back like to meet up and talk or what exactly? He would come over to the house and we would maybe like go in the backyard and talk. Cause in the beginning I, I was still fearful because gotcha, of what happened gotcha. and I didn't want to, um, communicate with him anymore, you know, just by ourselves Mm -hmm. and so he would come in come over and we would go in the back it wasn't like right away it was like you know several weeks after that and so um anyway after that i ended up going back and my mom you know asked me well do you want to get a divorce what do you want to do um i wanted to keep my marriage and as crazy as it may sound uh the reason why is because my mom had been um divorced uh had been married three times okay mm-hmm. um, my dad I have a different dad from my siblings um, I'm the youngest of seven so all six of them had a, a dad she was married to him she was married to me and then she tried it again and it didn't work um, and so because I knew that my mom wanted to be married and this was you know it was hurtful seeing her go through that I had two sisters at the time that that both of their marriages were 30 plus years wow. and for me that was like a role model of saying I wanted my marriage to work I saw them kind of go through some ups and downs no physical no abuse or anything thing but just you know uh, adjusting kind of peers kind of like what we were going through but there's they were able to work it out and I wanted to have that kind of a marriage so I went back hoping that you know we talked about going for counseling and things like this and so um he did actually go for for a little bit and he was just done you know Mm -hmm. and and we were still going to people at the church not anything as far as like a professional outside Mm -hmm. I won't say a professional Mm -hmm. but outside um, of the church and so when I went back um it it was good for a little bit and things went right back. Mm. And um, I ended up just staying, you know, I went ahead and stayed again. And then eventually um, we separated, which was the last time. And then eventually we got a divorce in 2009. Um, but one of uh, just to kind of go back to what you were saying too, about why individuals stay, I realized after I left from there and found out that I was in an abusive relationship after being in class that one day, and listening to what the detective was saying, he was a guest the speaker, class. right in the victimology class and what he shared. And I sat there and it was like I had an outer body experience. I was sitting there listening to him and his voice got very faint. 
And next thing I know, I could visually see some things that were going on. It was like I was in my house and mm-hmm. I could see some things that were going on in my marriage. I could hear conversations. And um, after that, I stayed after school, you know, and talked to the professor. Once I got back into the classroom, I talked to the, um, the professor and I just shared with her what I had been going through. And um, she started crying and I'm crying and she's crying and mm-hmm. we consoling each other. And, and she told me, she said, this is what you were dealing with, you know, mm-hmm. and she actually was a survivor herself. So we talked and that's what I, when I realized, so like I said, in 2014, that was the first time that I had actually heard or been told you were in an abusive relationship because my mindset was physical, you know, verbal and sexual. Yeah, looking for big, big And signs. I didn't see any of that. Who would have thought financial abuse would even be a form what of abuse? What is financial abuse exactly? I mean, how would you describe that? Well, um, for financial abuse, it can look a lot of different ways. Um, for me, I'll say um, being married and being an at-home mom for 13, during those 13 years, I w- it was 12 years for me. Um, and so I was the one supposed to be over the finances. But each time I would make a decision, it was, I want to say maybe about a year into it, mm. when I would just make a decision, say, we're going to pay this bill, we're going to pay this, he would override that. No, oh, this I is see. what we're going to do. Um, and then I would say, well, you know, we need to pay these bills. So and, no sense of control when it came to your finance, right. and financial then he, decisions. Exactly. And then eventually he would say, well, I'm the one bringing in the money. You mm-hmm. know, so I, this is what I want to do. He would purchase cars that we couldn't afford and um, under the name of saying, well, this is what you wanted, you know, and I, even mm-hmm. though it was a car that I did like, but we knew we couldn't afford it. But th- these are some of the things he did. We took trips that we couldn't afford and then mm-hmm. I'm balancing the money. And then it would be, well, I didn't know what I was doing. Because bills weren't getting paid, but we were doing all these other things. So you didn't get the decisions, but you took the blame. I took the, it was, for, yeah, I was the blame mm-hmm. for it. So then he says, well, if I was doing the money, things would be different. So I'm like, okay, well, you take the money, you know, you go ahead and do it. And then it was always something where well, I don't have mm-hmm. time or, you know, mind games. Okay. Right, going back right. and forth. So then as time went on, uh, when we were going through the year of, um, of our divorce, there was a period of time where I wasn't working. So he was actually taking over the money at that time. And so um, he was rationing out money to me. So I had to ask him for money. And when I would ask him for money to go to the grocery store, he would give me just what he thought I should mm. um, spend. And so if I needed personal items or anything like this, I would have to go to like a, a cheaper store to buy some of some things, some food, maybe some canned foods or something like that mm-hmm. in order to have a little extra money to buy personal things that I needed because he wasn't going to give me anything. Um, even as far as me with, and this financial part comes in with the economic side of that too. So when I was working during that year, it was about, um, Nine months of that year, I was working. First three months, I wasn't. I was looking for work and couldn't find it. So I ended up going back into retail. So um, during those nine months, we were living together. And I would ask, now this is living in Wisconsin, okay? The bad weather, snow, rain, sleet, or snow, okay? So I'm asking blizzards and all of this, okay? There was times I would say, hey, can you pick me up from work? Because I worked about Mm, maybe about 35 to 40 minute ride from where we lived at, but it took three buses to get home to and from there. Okay. And it was at a mall and he refused to pick me up or take me to work regardless of what the weather was. He told me he couldn't do it. And and his reason was because it would be disrespectful because his girlfriend would have a problem with that. But we were married still. We hadn't gone. This was when, this is going through the divorce. We still living together. Wow. Right. And he would not help out at all. And I was like, holy crap, this is so crazy. So his attitude changed. That year was like the worst year for Mm. the mental, emotional and abuse, uh, psychological abuse that I went through and financial. All of that was just like that year. He, he became very bitter. I want to even say the year before that. So the last two years, he Mm -hmm. became very bitter. Um, 
And just in his responses was so negative to me. And um, there would be times he would, you know, at my daughter say, hey, can you bring something home for us to eat? And he would ask her, well, what do you want? And then she would tell him, she said, well, I'll go ask mom. And then, you know, I'd get on the phone or either I tell her what I wanted. He would bring her food and not me. This is when wow. I wasn't working. Um, and so it was just so much. So this is all part of the financial. But some people may experience where the person is controlling the money. Um, they don't have a say so in it. If they're both working, the money is coming into one pot and one person is controlling. The other person has no clue of where, where this money has been allocated to go to. Um, they may be getting allowance or may not be getting allowance. Um, they may also have that the abuser may have that person signing documents that they have no clue of what they're signing in order to get credit cards or, you know, uh, purchase of cars. Yeah, using or them real, basically. Exactly right. And, and they don't know what they're signing because they're just going to say, I just need you to sign this and they're not able to read it so they have no idea what's happening that also falls into where it damages your credit so in terms of that so all of that is a part of it um signing checks and you know paying for things that they don't know what they're doing so taking their disability checks or whatever it is that they're doing financially this is just different forms of it yeah right and then just to kind of um go back to the question that you said why do people stay so if you look at um, the abuse that that person has gone through, that has to do with the childhood. OK, so mm-hmm. that's 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 a given that if they feel this way, they're going to this now is what they're going to look people at people who are getting abused or who are doing the abuse. Why did they stay? Why do they stay? Why did the victims stay? Mm-hmm. So um, if they haven't had um, child abuse or any form in their re- in their childhood years, then if they've experienced it as a teen or as an adult, that individual going into that relationship, once they've been manipulated, um, dealt with mental, emotional, psychological abuse, that person's spirit is broken. Hmm. So their sense of reality has been jaded throughout that time. And so for them, they're only going off of basically like autopilot. They're doing what they know to do to cope with that relationship and mm-hmm. that situation that they're in. Um, in order to not be abused in any kind of way. So they stay in those relationships most times out of fear mm-hmm. because they don't feel like they're worthy. They don't have their self-esteem is low. So they're in a place where they feel like this is the best that I can get. So mm-hmm. why would I want to leave, you know, out of this relationship? Because this person does love me. He tell he or she, because we know men and women can be abusers and can be um of victims too. So with that being said, they've been told, well, if you did this, I wouldn't have to do this. Or I love you. And you know, you just keep giving me reasons to hurt you, you know, or something Mm -hmm. like this. So they're being told different things. And so those individuals over time, they're mentally, emotionally, and psychologically bruised to where this is what Mm -hmm. they think is what they need to deal with, whether they know it's abuse or not, is what they've been used to, to experiencing. So because they're broken in that way, they're not going to really see any any way out of that situation mm. because they, this is what they've been used to. It's a self-worth issue. Mm-hmm. Right. And not only that, too, to take it a step further. So being in this kind of relationship, they probably have lost friendships. Their family has probably turned their back on them mm-hmm. because they keep going back to this person. And the family and the friends don't understand why. Why do you keep going back? He or she is doing this to you. But they don't understand. It's a mental, strong, emotional stronghold that that abuser has on that survivor or that victim. And that's why they keep staying in those relationships. So until that stronghold has been broken, which means the only way that that can happen is that survivor or the victim has to start feeling like they're worthy. They have to start loving themselves and mm-hmm. depositing into themselves. And that's where my part comes in at, as a life coach or life recovery coach, where I help the survivors uh, understand who you really are. Remember who you were before you met this person, mm-hmm. you know, and even if you can't go back that far, where do you want to be? 
Where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself having these type of relationships all the time? Or what kind of what kind of relationship do you want? Do you see a friend or a family member that has a relationship that you would like to have something, maybe not exactly, but something similar? Because we don't want you to compare your life to somebody else, right. but we do want you to kind of look and say, hey, that's a model. You know, I can see my, maybe trying to strive to have a healthy you can relationship. You take the healthy parts from it that exactly. you like and, and model it in your own. Yeah. Exactly right. So those are some of the, the, the uh, steps and um you know, information or exercise that I go through with the individuals to let them know you can get out of that. And that's where my book comes in at, you know, planning your escape, the key to your freedom. Yeah. Because if you look at the cover of it, there's a door that's open and then there's a key that's on the floor. So if someone is broken in a relationship, it doesn't matter that that key is there and the door is open. They're not going to chances are they're not going to leave out because they're so broken inside, emotionally broken. They don't feel that they can do it and be successful with leaving that person. They, mm. you know, especially if they're not working, if they don't have any money, then first thing they're going to think is, where am I going to go? You know, who's going to take me in and I don't have, you know, um, money. I can't. And if the shelters are full, then where am I going to go? I don't want to be homeless. So it's, I might as well just stay here because mm. at least I know what to expect from this person. But leaving from this person too and going out into this world is too much uncertain. What am I going to do? You know, my family's going to be there. Maybe my family said, no, they're not going to be there for me. What do you do with people in that case? Like, let's say, I mean, because ultimately you're right in the sense that there's like, even if the door is open, that, that sense of, in a weird way, that sense of certainty of I know what I'm going to get versus the uncertainty of the world. You know, we, we tend to go with what we, we know, right? right. So, mm-hmm. but let's say in the case that, you know, you you see, okay, I need to walk through this door, but physically I don't have the money. Like, what do you what do you do with those kinds of people? Where do you start with that? Because money to me seems like it's like the first pillar or at least the first prerequisite, right? To mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, correct me with what you do, but it seems like financial, at least having a baseline level of being able to feed yourself and have some sort of way to live independently, mm-hmm. that would be key to be able to leave a, a relationship. But what right. do you do? What do you do in those situations where money's, you know, money's not an option? Well, one of the things that I um, like to do is, um, is first find out from the individual, do they have a safe place that they can go? If the shelters mm-hmm. are full, Do you have a safe place that you can go? So do you have a friend maybe or a family member that you can go to or maybe even a neighbor that Mm -hmm. will allow you someone that or coworker that you've worked with before that maybe you can get there? So we'll just use it as they say yes. Okay, so they get to that place. They still don't have any money. So then where I come in at is um, I can provide them with clothing because uh, it's a statistics that says that. Women or or people, uh, it's more or less like where it says when victims leave an abusive relationship, um, there's a high percentage that they're going to leave with basically the clothes on their back. So Mm. that's all that they have. So in that situation, usually when people come to me, I'm kind of like the first responder or the in the first crisis uh, response person that they talk to. And so I'll go ahead and kind of find out what is it that they need. You know, you need shelter, you need resources. What kind of resources like do you need? Check, pretty much. Right, you know, and then that way I have, um, you know, certain group of people that I work with and um, I know a lot of resources here in, in uh, the Valley. So I'm able to direct them into different places or either I'll call the places to find out, do you have, you know, whatever resources the individuals are looking for. And so one of the things that I try to share with them is if at any way that you can get out, 
I can help you find some some resource. I can help you get some clothes. I have clothes. I actually um, received donations as well to my organization, uh, Right Connections and Recovery, where I take donations in for clothing for women, for children, for babies, uh, diapers, anything that you would use as a woman in your daily life. If you have children, uh, survivors can use those too. So mm-hmm. if you're wondering what can you donate, anything that you would use. A survivor would need a woman survivor would need that too with children um, and even toys and shoes and things like that for the kids. So these are some of the resources that I can provide to them right away, which oh, is nice. what they really need. Um, I've also even put um, at some point I put individuals up in hotels for them to stay over if the uh, crisis center was uh, was full or not to crisis center, but shelters were full. Um, I try not to do that now uh, because it's more or less coming out of my pocket. But if it's a tough situation and I need to step in and do that, then I would be willing to help someone. Um, but also I help them get to food so I can tell them where to go to the food banks and, you know, to, to be able to go get food or other places that I know of that have that offer these services. I can take them over to there if they don't have transportation to get there so I can meet them somewhere and then take them over there to mm-hmm. get those resources. So that would be my big thing is to say. Because you don't have any finances, don't let that allow, don't make that be the deciding factor Mm -hmm. for you to leave that abusive relationship. Because as long as he or she knows that you don't have finances and that's what you're basing your reason for staying on, and not not so much that they're basing it on, but if that is, because we know everybody needs money. So we know that's going to be a major uh, reason why, but in order to get out of that, to get your control back, to get your voice back. You have to be willing to say, I don't have it, but you know what? I'd rather have my life, my happiness, and I'll do what I have to do in order to get out of that environment. So that's where that determination comes in. And that's where that encouragement, you got to encourage yourself while you're in that situation and say, do I want this kind of life continuing or do I want something different? Do I want to take a chance on this person taking my life? While I'm still here or do I want to look for something else or do I want to take a chance on this person? Maybe now that he or she has been, you know, I'm hurting me, they can maybe turn and hurt my children. Do I want that to happen? So if these are questions that individuals have, then, you know, in, in my mind, I would say, hey, let me try to help you get out of that situation or go and call one of the crisis helplines in order to get out. So. You know, there's different ways that um, I try to approach that situation in order to help the individuals to see don't just let the finance keep you there. Don't just let the fact that maybe you have pets or maybe you have accumulated some things together. Um, those things can be replaced, hmm. but you can't be replaced. You know, and I know how dear pets are to individuals, even if they don't have kids or if they do have kids. Pets are very important, um, which I understand that. But guess what? That's a, that vic- that um, abuser knows that, too. And he or she is going to use that yeah, as a pawn. Yep, and there's leverage to keep that person there. So sometimes we got to outsmart them. And how do we do that? Just what you think is holding me there. I'm going to not let that be what's holding me there because Mm -hmm. that's what you think it is. But I'm going to find something else to get out. I'm going to find my why is going to be bigger than I don't have money. Then you want to hold me here because you want to keep the pets or you want to threaten me with the children or whatever it is that this person is doing. We got to try to find a way to outsmart them and not allow them to keep holding us there um, as a prisoner in those relationships. Because when we leave out, we're already a prisoner in our own thoughts because Mm -hmm. we're now trying to redo what the negative um, words and actions that that person has already done to us. So when we get out of that relationship, we're trying to rebuild our lives and we're working against all the negative. So what's the, I mean, you know, let's say, 
once they leave that situation, you know, so we've gotten past now the, the financial part of the, the, the situation. They're, they're out of it. They're, they're safe physically, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're isolated. They have the space. There's still damage that needs to be reconciled, you know. So what, and I, I think you brought up the, the key point, which is that self-worth. You know, that, that sense of self-worth when that's low, uh, you know, that leads to all kinds of problems in the sense that we tolerate a lot more. We we justify, you know, somebody's behavior against us. We, we do all kinds of stuff like that. So what is net, you know, that's a long-term battle. That's, 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 that's something that happens over a period of time. So what is something that people need to do what, or what do they do uh, with you to, to build that confidence back again so that, A, they can have that sense of true independence and, B, be able to attract and maintain a healthy relationship, which is what we all want, right? right so yeah. what are some of those things that people can do to regain okay. that confidence? Okay. Well, thank you. These are some great questions. I'm enjoying this um, dialogue between us. It's really open up and exposing um, what domestic violence really is and how um, individuals' lives are impacted, not only just them, just the actual individual, but their family and the community is really impacted by um, the effects of domestic violence. And it's not just a, a isolated thing where it's just that family. It affects everybody um, because when you're at work, it affects your, your work performance at work. It, it affects as far as being able to get promotions at work because of what we're dealing with. Um, it also affects as far as with uh, your interactions with other individuals and how you communicate, if it's effective, if it's not. Um, if we walk in fear, if we're you know afraid to talk to people. So all of that has a lot to do with why it affects um, the individual, the family, and the community. So what I try to um, explain to the individuals that what is trauma? Trauma is a psychological response to a negative um, situation that has impacted a person's life. So how do you first you have to acknowledge that you've dealt with something that has been a life altering situation. And then once you can say, OK, what? Well, yes, this is what I've dealt with. Then you have to look at it and say, what is it that you're always asked? What is it that you're willing to do in order to help yourself get from this place? to get to where you want to be. Mm. And if that individual can say, whatever I have to do, whatever is needed, um, I'm focused. I want to get out of this situation. That's a good person to coach because that person is ready to move. Right. But if, and it's not to say that everybody isn't coachable because they are, but I'm saying when you find someone that's like this and they're ready to just get themselves together, that's, um, that's a person that's easier to coach because um, and it, it'll take less time to coach that person because they just really want to get the basics. What do I need? And I can just kind of go from there. Mm. But then there's going to be and then that also can be because maybe their um, what they've dealt with has been traumatic for them. But it's been in a place where they're using that fear to fuel them, to motivate them to get their life back together. Okay. And that's what the, one of the biggest deciding factors is. And that actually was how I was when I got out of my situation. I was determined that I was not going to let him defeat me. I was mm. not going to let my past defeat who I was as a, or define me as a person. Pretty much. Exactly right. So I hit the ground running when I got out. So, but I know a lot of other individuals aren't going to be in that place. So what I try to help them to understand still is I still ask that question. What do you think you, what would you like to do? Or what are you willing to do to get to the place you want to be? And then within asking those questions, it's a lot of saying, okay, so now you have to deposit into you. So you're going to have to start doing some things that's going to be just for you. So this is going to be invested in yourself. There's going to be some times where you're going to have to be selfish. So if someone asks you to go and do something, well, no, because this is me time. 
you know, but you're going to have to start setting boundaries. Mm-hmm. So if you have um, values and standards before you got in that relationship, you need to reevaluate those because it's something that you missed in your evaluations or your um, standards and values that you had that maybe you didn't enforce. Maybe you didn't um, stand true to those. And mm-hmm. so now you go back and you reevaluate and you say, OK, so this is an area that um I allowed this person to uh, maybe make me compromise in some areas. So I'm not going to do that anymore. So it's about reevaluating your values and standards, setting some boundaries. If you didn't have boundaries before, then you got to set some. So how do you set your boundaries? You got to figure out, especially if you have children with this individual. So, okay, well then I'm not going to have it where I'm not going to be in the same space with you with just me and the kids. So it's going to be somebody else there with me all the time. Rules of life, pretty much. Exactly right. Start putting those boundaries in place and say, okay, so when we meet this person, I'm going to have a friend there with me. I'm going to have maybe a a guy cousin or somebody like that, that, you know, can protect you if something happens. So and then also having that person to know, well, you can only talk to the kids at certain times, you know, maybe going down and get a probation. I mean, um, a protective order. And that order is specific to what the judge says based on what you tell them. So that would be one thing I would say. Once you get out of that relationship, go and get your protective order, even though people say was only a piece of paper. But guess what? If that person violates that there's another uh, charge that's going to be added on to that person's crime that they've committed. Yeah, so it does a help the uh, boundary pretty much. To exactly. Put up, yeah. Right. And then it also lets the courts and the, the law know that you're serious about not being in the company of this person. Mm-hmm. So that helps you out too. And then also um, as far as like um, if you happen to be married that with that person and you're going through like a divorce and you setting there's boundaries and in, in place that you can put into your divorce decree. So there's some ways that you can do that legally, but also within yourself personally, you have to do some things too. So I like to tell individuals it's going to be some work. It's not going to be easy trying to rebuild your life. But what I do tell them is the same energy that you put into that relationship. Same and same thing with me, the same energy I put into my marriage. I have to put that same exact energy into rebuilding who I am, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and with such great force behind it with, you know, with so much motivation behind it, because it's like, this is my life now, you know, I'm fighting to get my life back. Mm -hmm. So these are some of the things that I, I suggest to, you know, the individuals that I coach and look at in terms of what are some ways that you can rebuild your life. Okay. So when we talk about that, let's talk about what we said, putting back into you. So you're depositing into yourself. You're, you're finding a craft or a hobby that you enjoy doing. You know, you're fine. You're redefining who you are all over again and learning who you are, learning to love yourself. Because if you don't love who you are, you can't love somebody else out of a, a empty vessel. You, you, you just can't. It's not going to be genuine love. What is what that love is going to be is what you want that person to give to you in return. That's what you're going to be giving to somebody. Absolutely. But that person isn't going to give you that back in return because their value of love is different than yours. You know, they don't see love the way that you do. Because you remember what we talked about before for them. Love is I'm controlling you yeah, and you're doing what I want thing. you to do, taking everything from you. Mm-hmm. Um so along those lines is what we kind of talk about is, you yeah. know, it's helping to you got to rebuild yourself back up. It's, it's all about you. That's the way I look at it. It's all about that individual, the the victim or the survivor. I don't really don't like using the term victim, but the survivor or champion. I like they, champion. That's, that's right, really right. cool. How you use <laughs> <Yeah. that. laughs> For me, it was like, you know, that's why I said I hit the ground running and I got that from boxing because I grew up 
um, watching boxing. Yeah. And always remember that, you know, especially Muhammad Ali, the champ, you know, he was always, yeah. he didn't give up for nothing. I mean, in any of the, the boxers, any of the wrestling, you know, um, athletes, I mean, all of them, they're just so focused on their craft. They're yeah. focused on what they're doing. And if they get knocked down, they get back up. You get knocked down, they well, get back up. Champion has a positive, you know, the thing I, I don't like about victim either is the victim has a, it's almost assumptive. It's almost assumptive that something bad happened and that's a permanent state of being that you're in. Whereas a champion is the opposite. It's like, okay, I've won. You know, I'm I'm a winner. You right. know, there's an is a it's a positive assumptive, you know. So yeah. I think the word really I like the cha- champion a lot. That's yeah. really cool. Thank you. And exactly that's the way I look at it too because I know being in the in a relationship cuz like I said I didn't know I was being abused, so I never saw myself as a victim. But when I found out that I had dealt with domestic violence, I was like, holy crap, I was actually a victim in my marriage and didn't even know that. And then Mm. getting out, I became a survivor. Mm. And so after that, I said, okay, so now I see myself as a survivor. And I went out to a few speaking engagements and that was, you know, what I said. And I was like, but you know what? I don't just see myself as a survivor. I see myself and, and, and I hear other people say overcomer or a thriver, you know, and I'm like, okay, all of those words are good, whatever works. But for me, I just looked at myself as I had, I'm a champion, mm-hmm. you know, over domestic violence that I didn't allow it to defeat me. And um, once I started putting a different label or a different title, that showed me that my mindset changed and I was moving to a different level mm. in my healing. So I wasn't just staying in the victim um, mode of, yes, I'm a victim of domestic violence. And I was starting to see that I was getting better on my healing journey. And I was starting to feel better about myself and my confidence increased. To me, when I use the term champion, to me, that increases my ink, my, my, um, self-esteem, mm-hmm. my self-worth. You know, my confidence is a big, has been boosted because I see myself differently now. I don't see myself like, um, just society would like for right. us to see it as a victim or a survivor, hmm. you know? So it's, I think it's just the, for me, it was the mindset. And mm-hmm. I remember, um, I love uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer, and I, it's yeah, so sad Wayne that he's Dyer, passed he away, right? Sad. Right, but when he said, I, I like his quote where he says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Mm. And that was so profound for me. So when I read that, I had to read that a couple of times, and I was like, that is so profound. It's so simple, but it's, yeah, it absolutely. is. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, with uh, the reason why I added some more onto my quote is because, um, my Angelo, Dr. My Angelo, her quote is, um, when a person shows you who they are, believe them. When, it, when a person shows you who they are the first time, believe them. Mm-hmm. So I made mine a little bit different mm-hmm. um, because I wanted to put in that, you know, don't overlook, don't make excuses, because those are things that we do. We yeah. overlook those red flags. We overlook, you know, that person's negative or bad behavior and we make excuses for it. So I wanted to say if a person is showing you who clearly showing you who they are, even down to when you're dating somebody and if they're not consistent with their texting. Or communicating with you, mm. they're still showing you who they are. Either they're not a good communicator, yeah. either they don't value well, the you, or they're not always, into you. We're always showing patterns in some way or another, right? Exactly. <laughs> Their patterns is always there, but are we being mindful to pay attention to them? Mm. And so that's why for me, when I started to change you know, how I saw myself, then I could see myself as a champion. And it just made more sense then. So even when I go out on the speaking engagements, that's one of the things that I say. I'm a survivor of domestic violence, but I see myself as a champion. And I even call the the ladies in my um 
and the group that I have, the support group on Facebook is it's um, we see ourselves as lady champions. And for the individuals that have dealt with um, sexual violence, I look at them as being lady warriors. So that's the way I, you know, present to them um, how I, uh, you know, talk to them and say or call them and say they're lady warriors or they're lady champions. And, um, you know, and I think that has a, a lot to do with it. I even see their post something on their page and they'll put down I'm a warrior or I'm a champion, there's you know, or strength, something like that. There's a strength to those it words. does. It definitely does. It changes that that whole pers- negative perspective of what a survivor is, because a survivor is not just somebody that is black like myself. Um, with um, African, you know, with uh, natural hair. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a survivor is not just a, a young lady that may be Caucasian with, you know, um, curly hair. Okay. It's, it's all walks of life. It can be a male that's a, a survivor, a female that's a survivor. It doesn't matter the nationality. Anybody can be a survivor. It doesn't matter the person's profession. It doesn't matter their, their celebrity status, you know, or um, how much money they have in the bank. Anyone has a has I'm not going to say a potential, but anyone can be a survivor. Mm-hmm. Any person can be a survivor. And I think if we get that out of our mind of what a survivor looks like and what a abuser looks like, then we won't be caught up in. We won't be. Um, I want to say taken advantage of mm-hmm. from abusers right. you because won't be caught up in the obvious and and missing the signs that are exactly sometimes just as bad. But you don't exactly see them. yeah because sometimes we look for a certain way or where he has to act this way or he's going to be this way and mm-hmm. he's going to look this way. No, you can't do that. It's just like with a pedophile. Yeah. You can't look. Sometimes you can look at people and say mm, he looked like he you know he, like he kind of weird looking or something, yeah. but creepy guy around the you know around the bushes or something we think back when we kids (laughs) you know right we may say that but for an abuser there is no look right to say he looks like he's an abuser right but for you know it it did it is really weird because you see somebody looks like a pedophile you see their picture you're like he does look like that but we really don't know that we're just like he just looks creepy (laughs) you know it's interesting actually this totally just reminded me this but there's this um god i forget the name of this it's very controversial, this this type of science, but I forget the name of it. But basically, it's the science of studying people's facial features to determine, you know, their proclivity to crime and things like this. Okay. Very controversial study. But anyway, uh, China, apparently, I read this like a couple months ago, China actually incorporated, you know, they're doing a lot of surveillance on their people and all this kind of stuff. They actually incorporated an AI that would take all this stuff that's been done in this realm of thought and they applied it to their criminal databases and they found that a lot of these people that were committing serious crimes like murder, you know, child abuse, all these kind of things, they were like more likely like high percentage to have like narrower eyes and certain things with their cheekbones. I'm like, Oh my God, this is, Mm. you know, because like you said, you know, can we see a picture, let's say with a pedophile, that's a, that's a, an extreme crime, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and we're all intuitively like, Oh yeah, it kind of looks like, (laughs) and that's terrible to say that it's terrible to say that. Because what are we basing it on? Because other pictures of what we've seen. All the pictures (laughs) that we've seen, you know, but there's some, you know, there was some intuitive, you know, whatever, I guess human sense there, but you brought up another good point, which I, I think is even more important, you know, the whole confidence thing and investing in yourself. I think that's key. And then there's another point, which is, what you do with your women's empower group, empowerment group, which is this sense of community and belonging and kind of having healthy relationships or other people that you can relate to that have been through your struggle, through you know your own journey in some sense, and that helps you 
reaffirm the path that you're on, right? Because it's it's one thing to kind of invest in yourself, but it's a long road. Like you said, it's difficult and there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of temptation to go back to that comfort of that baseline that we grew up with, uh, whether it's abuse or whatever else. So having other people that you surround yourself with is very key. So you want to talk a little bit about your um, that women's empowerment group you do and the, the book club with the chat and chew you guys do regularly? Sure, I would love to. Um, you're exactly right. And even for me, as I go through uh, this process, it's still healing for me because I'm giving back something to help other individuals. Um, and as far as the, the reason behind why I started the, the HEAL uh, Women's Empowerment Chat and Chew is because as a survivor, I know how important it is for me to rebuild my life. Um, I was struggling for about a year after my divorce. Um, and I couldn't understand why I always like to use the term. I was so jacked up after emotionally just jacked up after my, um, uh, divorce. And I didn't really know even something simple as what type of furniture I wanted in mm. my new place to try to rebuild my life. I didn't even know if I wanted it to be contemporary. Just out of traditional. It, much, yeah. I had no idea. Right. I didn't know what color scheme I wanted. Mm. And um, this is real talk because I was so used to focusing on what he needed, what my children needed, mm. being that wife, being that mom. You didn't even know your um, own preferences for small things. Exactly. I lost my identity in that marriage. And mm. so leaving from there, trying to rebuild it, I was like, and I would ask my kids and they're like, well, mom, just make a decision. I was so indecisive. Just make a decision. And I couldn't understand why I felt that way. And then once I start reading um, some personal development books and start um, more or less kind of listening to like Les Brown and Tony Robbins mm. and um, and uh, Lisa Nichols and, um, you know, even watching um, some of the Oprah shows or whatever that was going on and, you know, just really starting to do. And I realized I'm doing personal development. That was a big thing for me. So with realizing that I needed to deposit into me um, and how important it was for me to do that. And I was actually having fun, you know, doing it because it was like I was reinventing myself all over again. Um, and I'm sure you guys um, probably hopefully some of the listeners have watched this movie called um, <clears throat> it was called Diary of a Black black mad black woman Tyler Perry's movie it mm. was a play and then it went into a movie there was a scene in there that really just resonated with me when she was writing in her diary and um, she made the statement of she was redefining herself she was finding myself she said I'm finding myself and every time even now just listening to you I just get like just uh, almost like goosebumps it just goes over me because in that story in that movie, I resonated so much with how she felt emotionally, mm. mentally, and psychologically. Um, and I didn't so, see the movie. Was it? A, was she being an abusive relationship? She was in an abusive relationship. Okay. Yeah. Right. Her her husband was an attorney. Um, gotcha. Very um, high affluent uh, lifestyle that they lived, and it was like I said, it was Tyler Perry's. It, it started off as a play. He made it into a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would highly recommend it if you haven't. It, it's a good um, movie for anyone to really see because it shows her go from um, where she was to where she ended up being. So it's a good part of it too. Mm -hmm. Um, And her reconnecting with her family because he had isolated her from her family. Um, And because of their lifestyle was he was making so much money and her, her family was um, separate her pretty much. Not only that, but because he was embarrassed with her family because they weren't on his Mm -hmm. level. So that was the isolation. And she went with him because that was her husband. So she dealt with a lot. Um, And so remembering that that movie like I said it just really resonated with me and I said you know what we as women we are hurting from things and we don't even realize that what we've been putting under the rug putting on the shelf oh I'm okay I'm fine I'm out of that relationship it's over with I don't have to worry about it anymore 
we really still is still affecting us. Mm-hmm. It's affecting our, our physical body, our mental, emotional state. But we don't believe it because we've been masking it through makeup, through hairstyles, through mm-hmm. clothing, you know, through all the designer, everything, all outer exterior. We've been masking it. And so these were some of the deciding factors for me. And I truly believe that God gave me the vision to do this. You know, it's like for me being a survivor, I know how important it is to want your life back and try to fight to get it back. Now, whereas somebody that was in in a a marriage and say married, the marriage was just toxic and it just didn't work. There was no physical or anything abuse um, in there. And they leave that relationship or a breakup. Maybe the person cheated on them and they're like, "Okay, I'm done. I'm out of that relationship. They may not see healing the way I see it, because for me, I'm fighting to get my life back. My Mm -hmm. life has been taken away from me. My voice has been taken away. I'm on a different level of fighting to get it back. But someone else in those other scenarios, they may just look at it and say, you know, I'm done with that relationship. It's over with. And they're just masking their emotions with um, it'll be OK. He cheated on me. She was she did this, whatever, mm-hmm. but never attacking that, never bringing it to surface to say, hey, I need to deal with it. But not understanding it's affecting them in other relationships. It's affecting them on their with, job. Yeah, absolutely. They're bringing it's their affecting, jobs and everything. Right. How they interact with their children, how they interact in a new relationship because mm-hmm. they're bringing that baggage into the new relationship and they have not dealt with it. So with talking to so many different individuals, different women and men, um, that's where I came up with this idea of to start this, this women's chat and chew. So it's a women's empowerment chat and chew. And um, what the words heal stand for is um, because it's acronyms for Mm -hmm. that. So it's healthy emotions, acknowledge love. So I believe that if we get to a place where we are healthier in our, with our, um, in our relationships and within ourselves first, then we can start to have healthier relationships and we can acknowledge love in the right way instead of it being the wrong way where we're giving something that we're not even given to ourselves. And mm-hmm. so this is where all of that started at. And so it's more or less where it's a, it's the, the reason why the chat and chew is because we're going to be here talking and we're going to be eating something, yeah, you know, like and, and just enjoying, <laughs> right, right, just enjoying, you know, having girl talk, yeah. you know, um, not looking to. So it's not like we come into the place and we're like, hi, my name is Jack. I'm a survivor of domestic. Right, it's not, an, it's not an, like an that. Alcoholics Anonymous. No, no, no. <laughs> it's really just chill time, being yeah. able to just kind of enjoy. Casual, relaxed, but also productive. Right, and have a good time. And so this um, event, and we're going to be doing this monthly. So this is the first, the second month. These are Facebook Lives, right? It's or? on Facebook. No, no, no. Well, we won't really do it on Facebook Live oh. only because of the, right. the sensitivity of what we're talking about. So um, we do have a guest, which is going to be uh, Dr. Rodney Pearson. He's a licensed therapist. He's actually going to be at our event on this uh, I'm sorry next week Saturday and um he's going to be there he's going to really be kind of setting the tone and just explaining to us when we're not healing how that affects our body our our entire being you mm-hmm. know of when we're not healed from something so he's going to come from that you know mindset and in terms of it's all about us what we're doing right now these gatherings together it's all mm-hmm. about us and so in the bigger scheme of what I'm doing the reason why and I even have like the Facebook um, group for uh, women that are survivors of domestic and sexual violence and so what that's for is is to help us you know build ourselves up and learn how to love ourselves and you know e- e- um, encourage each other you know not just ourselves but encourage someone else because other individuals that are in domestic violence relationships, they're in these groups and they come in here and they're asking questions. Well, this is what happened to me. What do I do? You know, I want to leave, but this is what he said or what she said to me. So they're asking for help. And so that's mm-hmm. what these support groups are for. Um, on my Facebook uh, live is uh, on my Facebook um 
page as far as for to get women that are in domestic and sexual violence um, has been impacted by their life from that, that they can come on and talk about it to get advice, to get um, understanding of what they're dealing with. So they have an an outlet to talk. So now with the the women's empowerment group is not just for domestic violence or sexual violence survivors is for women that are dealing with any form. And I stress on that any form of a life traumatic experience that has happened to them and they don't quite know how to move forward. They're struggling or maybe they don't even know, but they're just things just aren't working for them. But they don't know that it's something from their past Mm. that is hindering them. That's a stronghold. When we have issues that happen in our life and these things are um, causing us to live our lives differently and, you know, see the world in it from a different way because of the stronghold is there, whether it's emotional, mental or psychological, whether it may be a natural disaster. Just kind of look at it like this, a person that um, a woman would just say a woman, she say maybe she's 65 years old. And well, I'll just say it like this. Think about the Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. What about the floods that happened? Don't you know all of those individuals have dealt with a life traumatic altering experience when the flood happened and they lost everything? Oh, I can't even imagine that. It, right. That's what I was going to say. Think about how it would be for them to try to rebuild at 60, 70, 50 terrible it's it's going to be traumatic for them so this would be a, a person that could benefit from coming to this uh, chat and chill to be able to understand this is what happened to you and here are some ways that you can rebuild your life or you know getting just in the company of other individuals that are dealing with this too and how can we heal together mm-hmm. you know i've always heard from even when i was younger women are catty um Women don't get along. So I want to be able to help eliminate that. And yeah. so I think with the chat and choose that that can help. And, you know, at some point, maybe we can even do a retreat, you know, once a year and yeah. do something together. Maybe just go to the movies, go to a um, a lounge and maybe listen to jazz and not even talk about anything, but just enjoy being in each other's company, you know. So this is kind of like on the big scheme. I see a cruise coming in there. I see cool. a, a, a re- three day retreat, you know, weekend or something like that for us to just go and just have girl time, have girl talk and just learn how to build relationships and whether that be personal relationships or business relationships. And hold each other up too. I mean, exactly. I, think, uh, I mean, it's it's funny because I do see that dynamic difference between groups of men and groups of women is that you will tend to see less of that. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like groups of women, like you said, we holding each other up is really important in that, you know, I, I, I tend to see a lot more competition between women than mm-hmm. I do with men. And that's, right. another, that's probably another reason with the whole abusive relationship thing in the sense that, Yes, men and women can both be abused, but I think when it comes to women specifically, there's there's just definitely a lot more societal like shaming and all this kind of stuff that that puts additional pressure on leaving that relationship. So I think right. if women can kind of grow that healthy community together, I think right. that's, that's a big deal. And let me just comment on what you said. You're right. It is more competition with women than men. But what the difference is with you guys is healthy. It's healthy competition right, with yeah. us as women. That's where the cattiness comes in. Right. That's where the, oh, she thinks she's this or look at what she has or look at how her hair, you know, then it's more of the judgmental side of that My instead of it always, being healthy. Uh, <laughs> we always joke around that men will always insult each other and not mean it because we like joke. That's how we joke around with our best friends, mm-hmm. you know, whereas women will always compliment each other and not mean it. You know? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> like I'll notice we'll be with my best friends and, you know, we'll say hello to each other. Like I can't say it on the podcast because we don't have, you know, we're not explicit, but, you know, right. like, hey, beep, 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 what's right. up? You mm-hmm. know, like, and that's just normal. You know, we're not, mm-hmm. you know, we're not out to, but then, you know, you'll see 
uh, I mean, I've had so many situations. Again, I'm not trying to be biased or anything, but so many situations where women will literally, I, I know that they hate each other. Deep down, I like, I know they don't like each other. Then you see them in public. Oh my God, I just love your hair. I'm like, you're just making that And then up. when they walk away, they say, oh, I really don't exactly. like her. Exactly. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. So, it, so it, it's, it's like uh, I said, it's not healthy at all. That healthy and I would group like for is it. very important, especially right. for, for the women. Yeah. So. I would like for it to be healthy. And, um, you know, even if it's just a certain amount of group of women that come to the event, it yeah. may not. It may not touch millions of women that it should touch. But even if it can just start touch small a group. and be authentic, then you know, mm-hmm. than anything else. Exactly right, and and that's what I think a lot of it is. Is we we're so used to uh, masking that because we don't want to talk about what we're dealing with. Because if we do, we're going to be judged. Mm-hmm. We're going to be looked down at. And so even for me coming out and talking about um, my experience with domestic violence, that was a big. Um, thing that I had a big one of the reasons why I was hesitant in the beginning because I'm standing here like okay well I'm going to talk about I was in an abusive marriage but I have no scars I have no physical scars people aren't going to believe me mm. so I had prayed and I asked God and I'm like okay if this is what you want me to do you, then I need you to give me the confidence to be able to stand in my truth when I talk about it, that I'm not ashamed, that I don't feel any, you know. You um, don't feel it's not legitimate enough. Exactly right. right. And then I know that I can talk about it and explain and touch people's hearts because I know just like I struggled with it, other individuals are struggling with it in silence too. And mm-hmm. if, And for a lot of people that may not know, domestic violence is the silent killer. Because a lot of times people are majority of us. We struggle in silence. We don't talk about it. And because we don't, then that's why you read on the news or you're here. You know, someone has died and you're wondering what happened to that person. You know, we Mm -hmm. thought they had a good marriage or, you know, he or she, everything seemed to be fine because that individual was not talking to their family. They were Mm -hmm. isolated probably from their family. And nine times out of 10. I hate to say that this stat is so high, but if you really think about what you've been reading in the news and hearing um, through the media about individuals that have died, majority of the time, domestic violence is at the root of that situation. Really? Yes. From now on, from, from today. Like stress and, and everything else mm-hmm. or you know, like suicide and those kind of things? Yes. From, from the suicide to people, individuals getting killed. So just kind of think about it. And I'm just going to kind of bring this up. The guy that um, shot up the church in Texas, mm-hmm. he was a young guy. He went there looking for his ex-wife. Um, or his estranged wife and her family. They happened to not be oh, at church that day. I don't think I heard that And he part shot of it. up some of the other people, domestic violence. That's why they weren't together. So that's a part of it. Um, I mean, it just from now on after today, it's mm. going to be even more aware to you that you're going to hear about it. You're There's say, some wow, connection, some connection, some somewhere. kind of connection is in there. Even some of these individuals where this baby just recently, um, had died um, and then they found her body or something like that. There was some domestic abuse that was going on there, you know, so mm. it's something that it, it's at the root of there. It's, it's in there. Yeah, a lot like they're of, running away from home and then, you know, they die in the forest out of starvation, but they were running because they were running from abuse or something right. like that. Yeah, so. something like that or even just the in the relationship where the um, parent hasn't said anything because they're being abused and something mm. happens to the child. Or the child is being abused too. Mm-hmm. It's stemming from the boyfriend and the girlfriend or the husband and a the wife. There's domestic violence that's there and then it transitions over to the children. So like I said, from now on, you know, even from you that's listeners out here, just kind of pay, pay more attention to what you're hearing in the media about the deaths and about the mysterious, yeah, you, you know, t- missing. You tend people. to put that in a little box. Like you're, that's very interesting because 
we tend to put that in a, oh, that's just domestic violence box that's over there. Like, that's not really part of the normal life. That's just, a, right. that's one of those off to the side kind of behaviors that just happens in extreme situations. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's really interesting yeah. that it's, it has, it's, it's an that connected to society. It's an undertone of domestic violence that have been in mm-hmm. many, just this year, in so many relationships of where people have died mm-hmm. or either the kids have been found and then you go back and you're like they were in domestic violence relationships. Mm-hmm. It is there. It is definitely there. And then there's drugs also that's related to it as well. Um, but yeah, so like I said, just after this, just kind of be a little bit more mindful of it and you'll be like, oh my gosh, okay, I never really, you know, wow. paid attention to it that way. But um yeah, it's an undertone to that. So I'm hoping, you know, that with my book and, um, you know, helping to helping individuals to coach them to get them out of these relationships and help them rebuild their life, that it can make a dent now, you know, in the, the stats. And when we talk about how high the stats are, um, I don't want you guys to just look at this just in one way, but I'm just going to tell you this part. So 85% of women are uh, victims of domestic violence and 15% men are victims of domestic violence at some point in their lifetime. Okay. But when we talk about 85% women and only 15% men, now let me just bring a little bit dynamics to that. So um, we're not just talking about heterosexual relationships. We're talking about the LGBTQ folks too. So, um, the transgender folks, all of them are a part of when we talk about these different stats that um, 85% and 15%. So it's same sex relationships Mm. that are committing these acts as well. Um, When we talk about, for it only being 15% with the man. Now, if they're in the same sex relationship and maybe their family doesn't know that, um, there would be more of a, um, how I want to say, um, of a good candidate to, to stay in that relationship right, yeah. because they don't want anyone to know. Right. And that would be good for the abuser because he wants him to stay in there anyway. Mm-hmm. So he would use that as a way if the person want to get out to out them. Okay, so then that would make that person stay in that relationship. Same thing with teens. Whatever they can leverage, you know, for control, basically. Mm -hmm. Yep, teens deal with that as well. So they would stay in those relationships too, and they wouldn't say anything, Mm. and um, or blackmail them to stay in whatever you know, whatever tactics they can use to get that person to stay in that relationship. Mm. That's what they would do. Um, So that's why the stats are um, obviously unbalanced. But why it's higher for women at eighty five percent is not just men that are being the abuser; it's women and men that are being the abuser. And so I like to share that with individuals that women and men can be victims and survivors. And I mean, I'm sorry, they can be, well, victims, survivors and abusers. They can be in all three. And so, um, you know, it's just a matter of us not looking at it in a way to say men are always the ones doing that because Mm -hmm. then we're going to miss something. If we're just focusing for men to be the abuser, because then we're missing out on what the women are doing. The key is seeing a pattern, a pattern of control and leveraging. And and that's going to be the broader picture that's going to help you identify some of those less obvious cases. Exactly. Yeah. And Um, so in my book, it it actually talks about how to, um, you're following actually the, in the lives of two characters, Jazzy and Sky. And so they're best friends and they're sharing with you, um, their ups and downs and, and their life story about how, um, domestic violence has impacted their life in one way or the other. So one uh, person is actually, one character is in an abusive marriage. The other one has been in one, but she's out now. So she's considered a survivor. Um, so you're following through their lives as far as what they've experienced and what they're currently going through. And then not only that, but you get a perspective of what the abuser is thinking because you get a chance to read. There's uh, pages in my book that, that um, allow you to hear what the abuser thinks about his marriage and his mm-hmm. or her marriage and why um, these things are happening. Okay. So you get that part of it, but not only that, it's a resource book. So it helps 
educate you about what domestic violence is, about how to get help, about the resources that are available, um, what you can do if you want to prepare to leave from your relationship. So hint, the title of my book is Planning Your Escape, Planning your escape. the key to your freedom. <laughs> but you also, in order for you to escape it, not only are you escaping it by leaving, you're escaping it on a mental level as well. So it's helping you to redefine who you are, rebuild yourself up and what are some things that you can do. So it's practical tools that are in the book as well. It's not anything where it's like you can turn to this page and I'm just going to say do everything that's on this page. You have to actually read the, the book from the beginning to the end to get the full um, understanding of it. Because as you're following the characters, you're seeing the changes that they're making and how and why they're changing. Um, whether it be positive or so you're going to be on an emotional roller coaster. I'm just going to tell mm. you, my book does have some profanity in there. It does say that in the beginning of the, the copyright that there is profanity in the book. And the reason why is because um, or I'll say in this new version that I just uploaded, I did include that in there. Previously, I didn't have that. So um, I've had to go back and kind of make some changes. But um, what you'll find is as you're going through uh, the book is you're going to be on an emotional roller coaster. So it's going to start off one way. You're going to go through being happy, through being sad, um, wanting to hurt somebody, the the abuser. You're going to go through that. You're going to by the end of this book, you're probably going to want to take the characters out for a drink. OK, hmm. <laughs> because after that, you're going to be like, wow. OK, so what just happened? So it's it's a good thing. It's going to make you laugh. Kinda it's makes you make live you that experience, and, though, doesn't it? I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, that is the, the experience is a roller coaster, especially if you're in an abusive relationship. It's one minute, it's like, oh my gosh, I get that approval. I get that mm-hmm. that feeling, you know, uh, from the person who's abusing me. And the other minute, it's, it's hell. It's hell on earth, right? right. So mm-hmm. you almost kind of relive that by, exactly. by going through that right. journey. And that's really what I wanted to do was, and that's what's on the top of, on the um, subtitle of my book, is I wanted to give um, a close look into the mindset of what a victim thinks, what mm-hmm. a survivor, and what an abuser is thinking, what their perspective is when it comes to domestic violence. And also to help the families to understand why my love one is not leaving from this relationship what is actually going on but when you read the story you get a chance to understand where that person's mindset is how they truly feel about themselves and why it's difficult for that person to leave from that relationship so you're getting a a good um, perspective of each character as you're reading this and that way you can relate that to a family member or a friend or a loved one or maybe even to yourself as you're reading to say wow you know and I mean and the book isn't graphic to where um, it's gonna you know talk about bloodshed and Mm -hmm. make somebody be like oh my gosh I didn't want to write the story where it would make individuals that are survivors be triggered by what I was reading so traumatic and that's exactly right but I wanted it to be where they could visualize it and be able to say okay yeah I can remember this was me you know Mm -hmm. in how I felt maybe not so much because like I said I don't go real graphic into the um, the abuse scenes but it does give you a visual um, of it and then that way you get more of the emotional side how does that person feel after this has happened what are they feeling like when it's happening you know type of a deal so this is where that emotional roller coaster part comes in at because you're up and down and you're like oh my gosh I see how she feels this way oh I'm so angry with this person or you know or I'm laughing at something that they say because there is some parts in here where they do make you know light of their situation not so much light but they they find the humor in it you know mm-hmm. in how they were um Maybe how I want to say um, blindsided by some things or maybe some statements that were said, you know, and they're like, oh, my gosh, I missed that, you know. So it's it's and then they're having girl talk. So they're having some time where they're laughing about some things, you know. So it's not like a gory type book. It's not a very technical book. It's a conversational style writing where to have you. Um, and literally on the back of my book, it does say a roller coaster. 
you know, that you will be on any molar ro- mm. roller coaster. Um, but it's in a way where it'll help you to get a better understanding. I truly believe that every reader, after they read this book, they'll have a much better understanding of what domestic violence really is. And who better to write a book like this than a survivor, you know, where I can, I already have the inside of it. So now I'm giving champion, my insight right? to other people, huh? <laughs> a champion, right? A, right, right. A champion. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm giving my part to, uh, my, um, experience to someone else, you know, to um, help them to be able to see. And it's not about me in this book either. And there are some, I won't say that there are some um, parts in here of my thinking is in this story, mm. but not so much the scenarios itself um, is, is not, it's bits and pieces, but my memoir will come out in a couple of years. That's, it wasn't, this one wasn't about me. It was about how do I get this information out for other people to read? I think so it's I awareness took, out there. Basically. Right. Yeah. So I took a lot of, um, I made sure that when I was writing my book that I didn't read any books on domestic violence. I didn't go see any movies on domestic violence. I wanted this book to be as authentic as mm-hmm. it possibly could be. So it was me pulling from my research of what I've gone through, um, my experience um, to be able to paint that picture of what domestic violence would look like for someone on a day-to-day basis to help individuals to understand. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So like I said, I didn't want to read anybody else's book and even some of the, the people that I like, like Gabrielle Union came out with her book. Uh, Taraji came out with hers. I said, no, I did not want to read anybody's book because I wanted it to just be this. And you know, like I said, other movies that come out and I was like, nope, can't go see any movies. I just wanted to be That's this. That's interesting. I, I think that whole point you brought up reminds me of a random story, but it's, it's somewhat relevant. It's a short story. And that was that when I was taking piano lessons, uh, as a kid, my piano teacher would always tell me that like Beethoven and Mozart and all these composers, they would sometimes lock themselves up for like a month at a time when they're trying to compose something because they didn't want to hear any other music so mm-hmm. that it wouldn't influence their their creative process. So, that yeah. it's, so it could come straight from that original, like you said, from that authentic place. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And your and book's that's on uh, Amazon, you said? Um, yes, it is. It's available on Amazon as a paperback and as well as a paperback is $15 and a e- the ebook is available as well and that is um, for eight ninety nine. And what's uh what's the best way they can get a hold of you like for the for the chat and chew and if they want to do some one on one stuff do you do uh, do you do like Zoom calls and internet coaching you do uh, only pri- like uh, physical locations how can they get a hold of you um they can get a hold of me through Facebook um they can send me a direct message you can go to um, my Facebook which is my business page and that is Jackie J A C K E uh, dot Wilson 33 for Facebook. And then also you can go to my website, which is my company website. And that is right connections, R I T E connections.org. You can also send me um, a message through there as well. You can also, um, get my office number, which is on my website as well. And you can contact me through my office number and you can set it up as well. I'll do online. Um, we can do face to face. Um, it can be also through zoom, you know, to do that as well. And then as far as with, for the women's uh, chat and chew for individuals that are outside of uh, Arizona and, or if you're here in Arizona and you're just not able to make it, we will be setting up for this particular, um, uh, meeting uh, for our gathering, I want to say we will have it set up for Zoom because I would like for um, the individuals to hear. I may not be able to do the entire uh, 
presentation because he's going to be there for an for an hour and a half hour and a half we may not be able to do the entire presentation but I do want to do um, have some of it recorded or, or um, available so individuals can see it and be able to you know have an understanding of what we do during these gatherings what is the, the reason behind it as I like to say the meat and potatoes about yeah, right. why are we doing this and, and how beneficial this can be so you can um, find me out that way as well and then I also have a book signing that's coming up which will be next week on the um, I'm sorry not next week it's on the 22nd of this month and that will actually be at the stadium club which is located on um, Ray and Alma school in Chandler and so and that will be from 6 to 8 30 in the evening so individuals can come out there as well um, they'll actually be getting um, a signed copy of my book uh, there'll be a, a special gift for the first 10 people you can go to Eventbrite to register. There is a $28 fee because that also includes all you can eat fish fry because oh, it's nice. going to be on a Friday. Right. So we're looking to have a great time. Um, I'll also be um, actually being interviewed live. So if you want to see me in person being interviewed live, that would be a great time for you to come out from a media personality as well, um, such as yourself as a tutor that's been interviewing me today and you guys are hearing me. So, um, you know, it's just a lot of different ways you can reach out to me. I do have an Instagram um, as well, and that's under right, R-I-T connection so you can reach me on there as well so um it's a lot of different ways to reach awesome. out mm-hmm. i got one more question for okay. you what are you most grateful for today oh what am i most grateful for i would say um my life my life being able to be in the place of where i am now from when i look back i've been divorced now nine years and so to see where i was nine years ago jacked up in my mind Mm -hmm. to where i am now more set more settled more stable more confident Um, my self-esteem is higher my I, i know who i am so um i'm just grateful for life and Can I just share with you about my other book? Because we didn't quite talk about that. So my other book that I have um, that I'm working on, that one will be released by the end of um, this year or the beginning of uh, next year. So I'm. And it's called what? It's called uh, From Chaos to Calm, Hmm. Peeling Back the Layers. So this book is about healing. And so um, it's about exposing, you know, the hurt, the pain, the the guilt and the shame and the rejection that we've dealt with and how those are strongholds and how to be able to move forward past that. And so um, this is the next cool. book that I'm working on. So it's kind of like a I don't want to say a part two to this or a good follow up. I yeah, want to say a, to the a, planning your escape. A, getting it's out. related, but it's a it's a different angle that you're going yes, with. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yep. And this one's going to be That's um, gonna be out a great book. Um, I'm looking to, um, if not at the end of the year, by the first of the year to have it. But I'll, I'll cool. know more as time goes on and then I'll, um, you know, let you know about it or kind of I'll keep posting it. So you can always go and, you know, send me a friend request on Facebook as well. And that way you can follow through, um, you know, my life and and uh, see what I've been doing, the work that we've been talking about today. And um, as far as like the videos, because uh, we... Um, had talked briefly about it. And when you introduced me, as far as I do the videos on Tuesday, where I talk about domestic and sexual violence, oh, okay. and that's a weekly one at six o'clock um, mountain standard time. And then on Friday, through your Facebook page. Yes. Through Facebook. And so yeah. you don't necessarily have to be my friend, but it would be great if you would be, but you don't have to be my friend to, to see the videos because they are public. And then on Fridays, we talk about all things healing. So it's about healing behind life, any life traumatic experience. And so on there on both days, I do have a special guest, 
guests that appear. Um, actually, this Friday, I'm going to be having um, Bobby Sudbury. She's going to be on there and we're going to be talking about healing. And she's actually going to um, go ahead and just talk about her book that she just released. So, you know, I like to have individuals that are on where they can tell you their story and then they show you where they are now, what they're doing in the community mm-hmm. and how they're giving back. And so Inspire I do that on your, both of your own the change in your own life. Yes, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a pleasure to have you on the show, Jackie. Such a such an awesome topic. I think we all, you know, learned a lot. I, I learned such a big deal today with, with the idea of recognizing, you know, domestic violence is something that, A, relates to so many things in society that we don't see it, you know. So it's it's become such a much broader issue. Mm-hmm. So thank yes, you so much for sharing your story. And no for being problem. On the show. Thank you very much for having me. I've greatly appreciated our, our chat today. So our chat, we didn't have anything to chew on, but we did have, <laughs> well, we had In a little drink, bit, right? lunch is coming up. <laughs> right. So thank you very much again for allowing me to come onto your platform. Absolutely. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode with my good friend, Jackie Wilson. She's an author, awareness speaker, a life recovery coach. She does a lot of empowerment coaching with women and basically just really supporting people on the path back from abuse and domestic violence. I think it's a very noble calling. And for me, you know, I I had a lot of personal breakthroughs in this episode with Jackie. You know, we talked a lot about domestic violence being more than just something physical. And that was a big deal because, you know, in my own life, I haven't had to deal with that necessarily. But like everybody, we've all had some abusive situations in our life. You know, we all do deal with it differently. But I think that was a big breakthrough is just seeing that there's things like financial abuse, there's spiritual abuse, emotional abuse. You know, it's all comes down to that power play, that control and learning how to recognize the signs before uh, before it gets too late, you know, before worse things happen. So Jackie is in the business of turning her experience into something beautiful and helping other people recover and regain their confidence and become champions, as she puts it. So I think that's totally awesome. If you want to go check her out, I highly recommend what she's doing. She's really helping a lot of people. And I'm always up for supporting people doing inspiring things and awesome stuff in the community. So uh, the best way to get a hold of her one more time is that right connections r-i-t-e-c-o-n-n-e-c-i-t-i-o-n-s dot org right connections dot org she's also on instagram right connections and then also on youtube as jackie j-a-c-k-e-l wilson w-l-i-s-o-n jackie l wilson so if you enjoyed this episode share it with your friends you know let them know you never know who might resonate with this message. And as always, I hope that it brought some value into your life. Let me know any ideas for future episodes. would love to hear from you. And I wish you a beautiful, beautiful day. episodes and weekly content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.